Hello and welcome back to the Irish Home Show. This is episode nine. We are talking surveys. You're joining us as we go through each week, every stage in the Irish house buying journey, from saving a deposit to getting a mortgage, house hunting, and then finally going sale agreed. We're going to be covering in the next few episodes all the steps you need to go through to get from sale agreed to getting your keys. Surveys are probably the largest last hurdle you need to get over before you get into your new home. You found a property that you love, you've successfully bid on it, and you finally got sale agreed with the owners. One of the last checks is that the house is in good standing, in good condition, and there's no hidden surprises. Almost every home buyer in Ireland will engage the services of a surveyor or an engineer to assess the house that they're buying and make sure that it is what they expect it to be. Fortunately, this week I'm joined by a special guest, Noel Tate from Get House Survey. I'm skipping the explainer section this week because it was such a great interview that covered a lot of topics. I'm just going to jump straight into my chat with Noel. Get House Survey are a brilliant service. I wouldn't be recommending them unless I really believed in what they were doing. Instead of having to search around and find a surveyor that's qualified in your area and getting quotes for the cost of the survey, you can go straight to gethousesurvey.ie and find a surveyor in your area. They've already been pre-registered, pre-checked, and they will provide a good report for you in a quick turnaround time. Wherever you are buying in the country, they'll find you a local surveyor at a fixed price that you can rely on. So let's get on with our interview with Noel, and we'll talk about everything to look out for when you're buying a new home and what the surveyor is going to do for you. Then after that, I'm going to be going through my usual feature sections of in, out, and away, and a new home versus old home, plus latest news. So stay tuned and listen in to this great chat with Noel Tate from Get House Survey. So this week on the show, I'm delighted to have Noel Tate, the founder of GetHouseSurvey.ie. You'll have seen Get House Survey around. They are a new way of finding a surveyor if you're looking to buy a house. Well, how are you? I'm good, Ben. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you on. We've got through the house buying process with, with our followers at the moment, and we've gone from savings to mortgages to house hunting. And last week, we were talking about what finally happens when you go sale agreed. Uh, Obviously, the major step after going sale agreed, one of the first things that you're asked to do is get a survey sorted. How do you guys help out buyers there? Okay, yeah. So, and uh, yeah, you're right. It is one of the first things buyers find out after they go sale agreed. And for a lot of buyers, it's a bit of a, a bit of a shock. They may not realize they need a survey. They might have had their dad or somebody come around with them on a viewing and you know, kick the tires, so to speak. But what you're uh, paying for with a surveyor is an independent person to come around, inspect the property, and give you their professional opinion on the overall condition of the property. Uh, and when they say the overall condition, it's everything from the structure, from the walls, the roof right down to the, to the finish on the inside, you know, the door handle's broken. Paying for that independent expert, it, and they're an expert on the different build types, or the expert on the maintenance of properties and on the, on the repair. Um, and you're paying for that expert to come around and produce a report to give you their professional opinion. And what you should do is you use that report, and based on what the surveyor has reported back to you, you can then make an informed decision on continuing with, with the sale and going on to sign contracts or not. So say a buyer has a uh, lot of experience in property, perhaps they're in a trade themselves or they have a dad or a family member who's come around and had a look at the property. Why should they still go with a professional surveyor and not just you know, use their own advice? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the main reason is the surveyor, that type of surveyor that you should be hiring or engineer, they've seen thousands and thousands of properties and they've seen pretty much mm. every type of issue that can appear in a property. And the 
the, the kind of main thing, the more serious thing is when you're looking at uh, structural issues. So for example, I could walk into a property and I could see a crack on the outside wall as I'm walking in. Now there are dozens of different things that could cause a crack on a structural wall. Could just be co- cosmetic. Um, it could just be the rendering on the outside of the property, just cracking due to the elements. Or it could be a condition of a more serious uh, or symptom of a more serious issue, maybe with foundations. And when you hire a professional surveyor or engineer, they'll be able to tell you either the causing or if it's something more serious, they can recommend a further course of action. Maybe a further investigation needs to happen. Um, but you're paying for that expertise to be able to look at an issue, something that might look kind, but they'll be able to tell if it's a symptom of a bigger problem. Um, in addition to that, in addition to that, they also, uh, they're experts on things like uh, damp within a property. You walk in, they look at that, they see they spot some damp in the corner of the room or their moisture meter they have with them shows up some damp. Mm. They'll be able to tell, okay, is it a serious type of damp or damp caused by maybe a leak or caused by maybe ventilation in the room? Or is it just something, sure. or, or is it just something, maybe there's a, maybe there's a wardrobe blocking a wall and it's not letting the air get out of it and there's that, just, just some damp building up there. So they'll be able yeah. to look at something like that and be able to tell, okay, is this just something small or does it need further investigation or could it be a symptom of a larger issue? And that's really what you're paying for. It's the expertise or the experience they have that allows them to look at an issue and identify, okay, is it something small or something more serious that needs investigation? Yeah, it's a really good point. Your father could be a builder, but he's not an electrician. He's not a plumber as well. He's not an expert in all these different things. And I also understand it's actually, it's good to have a third party as well for liability's sake. They, if they cover something in the report and something, a problem comes up later that they may have missed, at least you have a legal backup there that you have someone that you can check with. Yeah, that's a really good point as well. I know we want to touch on this later on, but one of the things that you should be looking for when you're hiring a surveyor is that they have adequate uh, PI insurance as professional indemnity insurance up to a certain limit. And some occasions where a bank may request you to get a survey. And in that case, the banks will have certain conditions that they need to have met. And PI insurance up to a certain limit is one of those. So yeah, having that insurance uh, to back them up is a very important part of it too. Okay. Okay. So that's a good point. So I'm buying a house. I mean, what type of house? What type of survey do I need? So if I'm buying a, you know, a newish five-year-old house, do I need a different survey to when I'm buying a hundred-year-old house that needs lots of work? And again, if I'm buying a brand new build coming off the developer, have a survey, a surveyor, do I need to use? So we'll start with the newest build first of all. So a brand new build. If builders have just completed that, that street maybe and they're ready to hand it over. At that point, what you're really looking for in 99% of cases, what you're looking for in a new build is a snag list. And the snag list really yeah. focuses on the quality of the finish. The surveyor will look out for things like health and safety issues or building regulation issues, which have been missed by the builder as well. Uh, but it, the main builders nowadays, that is a more rare occurrence where they miss something serious like that. What a snag list is, it's more focused on the quality of the build. So it might be that door handle is loose. There's some paint chip there. The new window, which was put in, has a scratch on it. They go through room by room and they look at the outside, the inside of the property, and they basically list every single issue that's wrong with the finish of the build. And that snag list is handed back to the builder and the builder has to consolidate those issues before the property is handed over, before, before the handover is complete. So you're, you're with a snag list, you're paying to make sure that the property is in, is finished to a very high standard before you get the keys. And if you're buying a new build, got the VAT on top of that, as well as the cost of the the property so it's very expensive and you really want to make sure it's top-notch standard before you accept the keys 
Yeah, that's uh, one, one of the good things, though, about uh, buying a new build is that at least you can go and ask the builder, the vendor to make those corrections. If you're buying a second-hand house and if it needs a, a lick of paint or, or a new gutter or something like that, you're really buying it sight as seen. Whereas a, a new build, uh, it's like a new, new car, to use that analogy again, it's coming straight off the assembly line. It should be perfect. And if it's not, you have a right to go back to them and say, look, you need to finish that job or correct that thing. Exactly, yeah. And with a new build as well, structure is covered under I think most of them use the home bond guarantee now that's that, that's the guarantee you got about 15 20 years ago crash from 2008 and I know there's been some changes since then and the home bond guarantee covers the structure of the property for up to 10 years I think it is and yeah. with a new build it's very unlikely that if there's any structural conditions that they would be showing by then as in if the foundations weren't done properly and there's going to be some subsidence um, that wouldn't have taken place yet. And so there'd be no visual indicators of that. So with the new build, you get the guarantee from the builders, home bond guarantee for the structure. Um, and you're paying a surveyor or an engineer or, or a snagger in, in the case of a new build to, to, to check on the quality of the finish. And it's exactly like you said, it's like a new car rolling off the production line. You want to make sure it's absolutely perfect. Okay. Okay. Fine. So that's new build. So uh, a, 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 mo- a modern in good condition house um, versus an older house that needs work. Is there a different type of survey that someone should go for? A different type of uh, engineer or a, a provider that they would go with? Yes. The type of engineer, it, they'd be the same type of engineer, the same qualifications. So it would come more down to experience. So if you've got a house that's five or 10 years old, you'll get a, a pre-purchase survey and it's to identify what we talked about earlier on, see if there's any conditional issues showing that you need to be aware of before you purchase. Very old properties, particularly over a certain age, there's lots you need to take into account. Is it a protective structure? If you, if there's any changes to it, the planning would be different if it's over, if it's pre a certain date, I think 1963. If it's pre a certain mm-hmm. date, planning conditions are different. There's different things you can do at windows in some parts of the country and so on. And then the construction, which was used back a hundred years ago, was very different to the construction of the property of properties over the last 10 or 15 years. So you're looking for somebody who's experienced in the building construction back then, uh, and they know the science to look out for. Um, so something that could be a serious issue or something that is surveyor spots that could be a serious issue on a bill today that may not even exist on a property from 100 years ago and vice versa as well conditions that could happen on properties that are built 100 years ago they may not be possible to appear on properties that are built today so it's different from types of building standard and they're up to different types of regulation as well and so it's the same type of surveyor you'd use but for properties that are very old you'd be looking for somebody who's experienced in older properties and to know the build different building methods from the day okay and if you know maybe not such an old property but something that's uh, 30 40 years old but in a bad condition that you maybe you're going into the house to do a lot of work would the surveyors be starting to give you sort of an outline of work to do or would you use someone in addition to that what would you generally find buyers are doing these days so it really depends on the scope of work and actually our house is a really good example this our house was built in 1977 or 78 i think it was and when we um had paul or surveyor to come out and go through the property with us we ended up with about 20 to 25 different uh, different uh, who's listed on the report and they varied from like the examples i gave door handles broken um, to more serious things like the he flat no he did say we should get a boiler specialist to look at it but when I talked to him afterwards he said the boiler is about to explode you need to get a new one in so we knew he didn't even engage up straight uh, away uh, he needs uh, to replace uh, it. Uh, an RGI yeah. guy to come out because we were just going to replace it anyway and he was able to tell yeah. us look there's old pipe work in the property as well which will need to be replaced so it's not just a new boiler which is in and around the 2000 mark or it was back then you're looking at a new mm-hmm. boiler plus they're going to have to do um, uh, pipes as well so when we got the 
the company out to quote work, he was spot on. They said, yeah, they're the old, the old gunmetal type pipes. So he said they, they'll need to replace, types, they yeah. need to replace some of those along with the, some radiators and some uh, an boiler as well. So that was one of the bigger things that, that he flagged with us. The other thing was the complete lack of insulation in the attic. So there's literally none. I think they might've put insufficient ins- insulation orders built and have never been touched. So the insulation was about an inch thick. So um, sure, we needed yeah. we needed brand new insulation in the attic and uh, there were other issues as well. I can't remember. It's, I, I, I'm quickly erasing them from my memory. But in our case, there were some serious issues like that, which he was able to give us an indication for at least the next step of what we needed to do down to the smaller issues. And what that meant was we had this really good picture. Okay, if we go ahead with the purchase of this property, these are all the issues we're going to have to fix. He flagged, there's maybe two or three serious ones that he said, you'll have to get these done before you even move into the property. And then there was just another long list of things. So we kind of, we kind of assessment based on that. We were able to work out how much work we'd need or how much money we'd need to put into it before we could move in. And uh, we decided, okay, we think it's still worth, worth going ahead with it. And in that case, we, we didn't try to renegotiate or anything like that. We pressed on the sale and signed the contracts and got it handed over. And we ended up, it was about one to two months of work being done to the property before we could move into it. In okay. our case, we had a mixture of serious issues, which, which we knew were going to cost us several thousands, along with some uh, some more minor issues, which we were just happy to take on. And I actually used it as a checklist of things to do after I moved into the property. I spent the first year, every weekend, fixing something else. Yeah, that's a good point. So the mayor will give you a report at the end, which have a laundry list of things on it. And as you say, some are marked urgent, some are marked expensive, some are marked not urgent, but you know, differential if you prefer, if you want to get these things fixed, etc. And as I said, you, some things you need to address straight away. Some will be a concern. We'll talk about that in a, in a while. And others are just so you might still you know, proceed by the house in no issue, but you have issues there to, to fix as you go on. Okay, let's go back to the beginning then. And we'll talk a bit more of that towards the end. Where do they start? So if a buyer has gone sale agreed on a property and the estate agent has probably asked for their deposit and asked them to get a surveyor booked, where do they go? Usually buyers are suddenly in a panic going, oh God, I haven't talked to a surveyor. I need to get one arranged immediately. What should they do? Where do they start? Looking? Yeah, so when somebody goes to gethousesurvey.e, first thing they'll see is our prices up front. So when you're a buyer, one of the what I always found as a buyer is one of the annoying things is you're trying to get 50 different quotes from lots of different types of suppliers. And we don't do that. We give you the prices right up front, front and center of the website. And we include that with that. So you don't need to, you don't need to work out what's that price with that. So we give you the prices up front. Then if you want to go ahead and book a survey with us, it's one quick form that takes you about a minute and a half to fill out. Hit submit and complete the booking. And then what we do is we say, okay, you have a, he's in South Dublin. We look at our surveyors in South Dublin. We find the one with the next availability, ask them if they can take the job. And if they say yes, they take on the job and they reach out to, to the state agent and, and book access to the property. And then all the way through, we keep the surveyor, sorry, we keep the buyer to date at every single stage. So when we assign a surveyor, we tell you who the surveyor is, their qualifications they hold, their, their membership is with, that they hold professional indemnity insurance, how many years experience they have, a lot. And so you know exactly who your surveyor is. Um, and then when, this, when the survey is booked in, when the time and date are booked in, you, we send you another update to let you know the time and date it's booked in as well. So when you go through GetHouse Survey, the, we take a lot of the heavy lifting off you. And because we keep you updated every single step of the way, you don't have to go chasing us down to find out the status of your survey. We make the whole process of getting a survey much, much easier. And then when it comes to the, when it comes to the surveyors we work with, we vet all of our surveyors up front before we ever work with them. So we make sure that they're members of the organization for the profession. So either SESI or IEI and that they are 
on that they hold qualifications with CIOB or whoever it is. We make sure that they're experienced. We make sure they carry the correct AI insurance. And then our lead surveyor checks samples of their work as well to make sure it's up to a certain standard, uh, up to, up to the SCSI type two standard for surveys. So when you go to get a survey, we do all of the heavy lifting for you so that you don't need to worry about it. No. Of course, you can worry about it and you can ask, and we have, we're more than happy to go through the, de- the details with you. But we try to take as much of the complexity away from the buyer as possible, and we, we take that complexity ourselves to make your life a little bit easier. And then you can focus on chatting to your solicitor or chatting to the All the other things you have to do. Or whatever it is. No you're, no, you're absolutely right, because as you say, you know, at the same time, they're probably getting quotes off so- solicitors, and they can vary quite wildly, and there's no fixed cost for them. Surveyors, as I said before, they may be ringing around and finding a surveyor or talking to your friends, uncles, brother, and all these different things. But actually having one place you can go to where you're going to be appropriately qualified, price is going to be fixed and not varied. And you know that they can get in and the arrangements is going to be automated. You'll get the report at the end. You don't have to worry about who's free because you're, you guys are doing that work for us. So it's, I think it's a real godsend for buyers and I highly, highly recommend it to people. So it's a great service that you're doing that. Yeah. And we, um, we set it up that way ourselves because as I said, me and Owen who set up the company, we were, we, we were both through the house buyer process ourselves in the couple of years before that. We realized a lot of the pain people go through and we set it up that way ourselves. We had a strong indication that, okay, people are going to like us because if we felt that pain, we could assume lots of other people did do too. And most of the feedback we receive and most of the reviews actually reference some of those elements we just talked about that uh, didn't have to go chasing us down. Surveyors that they matched with was uh, really pleasant to deal with, really knew their stuff, was more was overly helpful with them. And we were delighted to see that, okay, what we assumed buyers would like, we were actually able to see that in the feedback we were getting through as well. So, uh, yeah, we were really happy with that. And we think the way we've set it up really resonates with buyers. Yeah, it's great to see you having come through it yourself. You've seen the pain points and address them. It's great. Okay, well, let's get into it then. So I booked my survey and he's made, got access and gone out. What is my professional surveyor going to go out and where, from top to bottom in the house? What are they looking at and what are they going to report back to me with? Yeah. So I was actually out on a site visit with a surveyor this morning. So it's all for brain. So really, once a surveyor steps out of the car, they're already looking at the property, taking a step back and they're looking at, okay, right. First of all, if there's a front wall or front gates, they're looking at them. Then they're looking up at the property and they're looking at the end of the roof. They're lo- looking at the chimney and they're looking at the gutters from the outside. Then as they get closer, they're looking at the condition of the walls. They might have a walk around the side if it's an end of terrace and have a look at the gable wall and try to see if there's anything that they need to note there or investigate further there. And when they go into the property, same thing. The second they step through the door, they're looking at the doorway. They're looking at the walls. They hone in on the problem. They know exactly where the problem areas is. I touched on this earlier on. So when they walk into the, the sitting room, for example, at the front of the house, they'll know, okay, this wall here is where the problem area is going to be with damp. They'll go and they'll whip their moisture meter out and and, uh, ch- and check around there. Um, they'll walk through the hall downstairs of the house, check out the kitchen. Once they go into the kitchen, they'll make sure there's things like proper ventilation and yeah, that there's an extractor fan where it should be and the whole lot. And uh, they'll check all the doors and windows work. Then they'll go upstairs and it's pretty much the same thing. They'll check all the rooms. They'll check the problem areas for damp. And they'll look for any signs of cracking or any, any dodgy uh, renovation work that's been done, signs of that. Mm-hmm. They will, one of the things they will do is, now, it's important to note that surveyors are not electricians. So a surveyor can't go opening up the fuse board and poking around there and checking the circuits to make sure they're, they're all okay. But one of the things sure. they will do is they, they'll make sure all the, the lights work, the things like that. They'll make sure that all the fixtures and fittings work. They'll be lo- looking for things like, especially in older properties, they'll be looking for signs of old wiring. What does me, Ben? You might have a few years on me, so you might you might remember this. Uh, the, 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 the old lights where they have twisted wire, yes. a sign of old wiring. 
they'll be looking for signs yeah. like that and they'll be looking for things like old fuse boards and they'll note that on their, on their report as well. Yeah, fuse boards with the ceramic little the, the circles in them and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of the first things I, I find buyers look at or vent up, uh, surveyors look at. It's normally just inside the hall yeah. door. You can see, and you, often sometimes they'll have the date on when they're installed as well. Was, was the board installed in the last 10 years? Was it installed in the 80s or was it installed prior to that? And there's differences there. And sometimes they and these guys will know, look, I'm not an electrician, but th- that needs replacement in the short or immediate term. And actually another example there now that I think about it from our own house, Father Surveyor, he, uh, he, he's not an electrician, but this is something that jumped out at him. It didn't jump out, out at me. We had an electric shower in the house. And it didn't have, you know, the pull down cords, yeah. which is a requirement. It didn't have one then. It was, it was wired straight into the fuse board. And he said, do not have a shower here before you get on the really? electrician out. The electrician came out yeah. and the electrician just walked around like just basically face palming every time he looked at something. He's like, yeah, this does need to be replaced. Oh, no. So anyway, um, electrician, but they know uh, telltale signs of things to look yeah. out for. They, they may recommend yeah. you get an electrician in to look at something if something looks out of place. Um and then they'll get up into the attic once there's a, a hatch to get into the attic and they can assess it. They'll get up into the attic. And what they're looking at there is they're looking at the internal structure of the roof, or the timbers usually, to make sure that there's no signs of things like woodworm, to make sure there's no signs of any, any warping there. They'll, and sometimes you get up into the attic and you can actually see daylight coming through. <laughs> they'll be looking for holes in the yeah. there as well and, and the whole lot. And they'll be looking for things like old water tanks. So if you've got an old steel water tank, your house insurance actually, I don't think will cover you if, if there's a leak from one of them nowadays. And they'll be uh, looking at the insulation levels in the attic as well. So like the example I mentioned in my house, there was pretty much zero yeah. insulation. They'll be noting that down as well. Um, and uh, probably about 20 other things inside the attic, which I've forgotten about. Oh, sorry. They'll be looking if there's a party wall with a neighbor, they'll be looking to make sure that the, it, it, that's complete right up to, to the roof tiles and there's no, there's no fire risk there. Make sure all the correct fireproofing is in place. And if that's not there, they'll note that down as well. Okay. So that's the, the other thing which a surveyor will do. And this is where they really partner with your solicitor is if your solicitor has got any certificates of planning or certific- certificates of exemption, or they have a land portfolio map w- which shows the boundaries, mm. if they can be provided to the surveyor beforehand, and we always recommend people chat to their surveyor first, be- or their solicitor first before their survey is done, the surveyor will actually take them documents and make sure that the works, and the works which have been carried out on the, prop- on the property, it might be a porch at the front, it might be an extension at the back, which doesn't require planning permission, but needs a certificate of exemption. Uh, they'll make sure that the works t- carried out on the property actually match those documents as well, uh, which can help your solicitor ensure that everything is in order from a legal point of view. Yeah, there's uh, there's, there's a long list of things they do, but... Um, it, yeah, it's worth uh, summarizing. Looking for physical things in the house, for things that could be wrong or right in the house. They're looking at building regulations to make sure, as you mentioned, does it, the bathrooms have vents, do electrical circuits have the right switches and things like that. And then they're looking at planning, potentially they're looking at planning as well, height boundaries and things like that to make sure that everything is present and correct where it is on the ti- on the title plan and if it has planning or requires planning or certificates of planning to for you to proceed. So they're looking for everything there. And sometimes I find that they're not always finding things that are wrong with the house. Sometimes you might find that you, you go in the house and think, I know there's a damp issue in there. I've seen the mildew on the wall or something like that. And you're worried that it's a serious issue. And sometimes it's reassurance that they can say, look, no, it's a vacant house and there's been condensation build up inside and it's not a major issue. It's a superficial issue that you could fix quite quickly. And that comes sometimes, ultimately the survey is trying, you fall in love with this house, you bid on it, you've won the bidding and you've gone set agreed and you're going to put all this money into buying this house. You want some reassurance that what you're buying is going to stay standing, not be a money pit and you're not going to have legal issues if you buy it and can't sell it later. So they're there to, they're there to reassure you, uh, not just to catch out the, uh, the existing owners with the issues, but also to say, look, this is a house in good standing and it's worth you. It's okay for you to go ahead with it. Yeah, that's exactly it. And 
one of the stories I like to tell is when we got this survey uh, sent through to us and we seen all these issues on it, we thought, oh God, there's a lot here. And called up Paul and we had a chat with him and uh, he kind of just through the issues, uh, went into a bit more detail. And he said at the end, he said, look, he said, I'm trying to decide if you want to buy this property or not. And he gave us the example. He said, if, if my daughter is looking for a property, she's close to your edge, I'd tell her to go ahead and buy this. And he was just able to give us that extra bit of reassurance. Um, That's quite he, good, yeah. That was written on the report that it's you know suitable for purchase <laughs> once we are willing to address these issues, which in his opinion needs to be addressed. And that was written on the report. Just to actually talk to somebody as well was very re- who's an expert that was very reassuring. And that's another thing we really recommend that even after you get the report through, if there's anything on it you're not sure about at all, always just chat to the surveyor. They're there to help you. You're, they're there to partner with you to, to make sure that you are fully informed on the condition of the property. Uh, and uh, yeah, you should be more than happy to give them a call and, and talk to them and that they'll be more than happy to, to chat through the issues with you as well and give you that extra bit. Of okay. Experience. Yeah. I think that's a really good point actually, because what's written in a report can be very wordy and not so much of the take that the surveyor would give you verbally, perhaps over the phone. They often find some surveyors are over efficient or they, they have in their report, look, I didn't see any evidence of this X, Y, and Z. You see a mention of something like woodworm or something like that. It said, I didn't see any evidence of it. Couldn't get into a certain part of the attic. And people panic and think, oh God, there could be woodworm in there. It's purely that the report wants to cover all its bases yeah. to make sure that there's nothing missing there. And sometimes just a chat with the surveyor afterwards saying, you've mentioned this particular thing in the report. Is it a big issue? And they'll generate, as you, you said, yours did generally be able to assure you, look, I've mentioned it there, but it's not a big issue or it's an issue maybe you need to address in five and 10 years, not in the first few weeks you're in the house. Yeah. It, that you touch on a pretty good point there. So the surveys themselves, they're the main person that surveys for the buyer. It's for the buyer to give them the information to either move forward with this purchase uh, or say, no, it's not for us. There's too much wrong with it and to step out of the sale. But there's also other people can read the report as well. So if you are, if you're buying a house that, that meets certain conditions and that could be the age of the property, it could be the location. If it's in an old pirate estate, for example, a bank may ask you for to have a, a survey complete and may ask to see that survey. And then your solicitor might ask to read through it as well. Actually, most solicitors should ask to read, to read through it as well, just to see if there's any indication of anything that they need to be aware of, if there's been any alterations to the property. A survey has to be written in a particular way. The language that's put on it has to meet a certain standard. I can kind of read through it, but for somebody who's a particular first-time buyer, it can be a bit daunting. But it's written yeah. that way for a reason. It's to make sure that whoever reads that, it meets the needs that they have. And as you said, the surveyor kind of has to cover themselves. A surveyor can't walk into a property and say, all the wood that's behind the walls and hidden and there's no way to access it. I 100% guarantee there's no woodworm there. That's not possible to do. All they can do is anywhere that is accessible, they can go in and say, of everywhere I could ask, assess, I couldn't see any signs of wood. So language that's used on it can be a bit daunting, but uh, that's again is why it's important to just always have a chat with the surveyor afterwards and they'll, they'll be happy to go through it in a bit more detail if needed. Okay, good. And, and some of you, you, t- you mentioned there, um, obviously, every, everyone knows that the two things you often do when you, you go set agreed, you get the survey and the valuation. The valuation is done for the bank to reassure them and is paid for by you, but it's really for them. The survey is generally done by you. You commission the surveyor of choice and it is written to you. But yes, on some occasions, the bank might like to see it or will require to see it. And so property is over a certain age and it varies by bank, but I think it's roughly about 70, 80 years old. Properties older than that, the bank will ask for a survey to be complete. One, one of the banks have like a hundred years, it's over a hundred years old, they ask. Right. Um, and the reason for that is the older the property, the more additional issues there's going to be with it. Um, there, there's, yes. there's more of a chance of it not lasting another hundred years, the, the older it is. So they'll want to, um, they'll want to uh, 
get a report. So that the same reason they get a valuation done. They want to know that the money they're lending you is for a good investment and that if they ever needed to recoup the property, it's worth what, what they're lending you the money for and it's not going to fall down on them. And then the other condition is, and this is really more county specific, um, if it's in a if it's in an area that's known to be affected by pyrite and mica. Uh, now, yeah. there was a court ruling a number of years ago which prevents a list of estates affected by pyrite and mica to be published. Now, there is some websites that, 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 that try to capture this data, uh, but there's a court ruling say it can't be published. So unfortunately, there's no source you can go to and there's no official government source you can go to to get a list of any estates or any areas that, that are affected. But the banks know if you're buying in an estate that they know it has issues, they ask for a survey to be done. And they may even give some extra stipulations to say, can you ask the surveyor to confirm there's no signs of pyrite? Survey is not a pyrite test. That requires actually taking samples of the foundation and returning it to a lab to conduct the test, which is pretty intrusive. Yeah. But what the surveyor will do is they'll look out for signs of pyrite damage uh, or e- even just the early signs before the serious damage occurs. And that could be um, that could be the, the door frames and window frames going slightly ajar so, that, so they jam or they're off level. The other one is actually almost forgot about this, if the property is in need of a lot of work. So if the bank have looked, the bank have looked yeah. at the listings and it looks like it's about to fall down and it's just in a state of disrepair, they'll ask for the survey to be done as well, just to kind of dem an assessment of the type of work that needs to be done. And if there's a lot of work there that requires serious building work or a significant building work, you may even get a quantity surveyor or a builder in to give you an estimate That's of that right. as well. Yeah, in my experience, it may not be that the house is in a complete disrepair, but if they're planning to do any work on it and the house will be unoccupied or unoccupiable for for a foreseeable period when they first buy it, the bank wants to know that you can afford to do the work so you're not going to run out of money. You have a certain pool of money somewhere else calculating all those things. They want to make sure that you have done your costings and if it's going to cost you €100,000 to do the work that was all planned for, costed by QS, and that the house is not going to be left half finished because you run out of money. It's their asset, it's half their asset at the end of the day, and they don't want to be left ultimately with something that is unsaleable because it's half finished and no windows and walls missing and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's quite common as well, I find these days. Exactly, and it all ties back into if you put yourself in the bank's shoes, and I I hate trying to be empathetic towards banks, but if you put yourself in their shoes... (laughs) They want to make sure they're lending you a lot of money and they want to make sure that a good investment on their side. Um, not, not only can yeah. you, do you have the capacity to repay it now, but also is the asset that they're lending against a, a good investment of that money. So if bank shoes, it all ties back into the fact that they just want to make sure that it's a good property that they're lending, that they're lending you the money. Yeah. Okay, so we've got the report back and have a list of things, checklist, most hopefully will be green ticks everywhere, but there'll often be a few things. What are the most common, you've commissioned thousands of surveys now, what are the most common issues that will come up, two or three of the most common that you'll see in many houses that people should look out for when they're house hunting? Yeah, so thankfully, serious issues are not very common. Maybe less than 20% of reports have a serious issue that would make most people reconsider purchasing the property. Maybe even less than that. You know yourself, bad bad situations always tend to amplify in your brain and you think of them more. The, the most common issues are actually kind of, maybe not insignificant, but ones that are very easy for homeowners to ignore if they know they're going to sell in a few years. And the yeah. more common ones is your gutters and uh, the condition of your gutters and the downpipes. So it's really surprising how many people have you know, gardens growing out of their gutters uh, when the surveyor goes out to do a property. There was a survey or a property we surveyed last week. It looked like there was a tree growing out of the chimney and people were living in this property. So the gutters and the, the general maintenance of the roof and, and, and the chimney are very common. And it could be, look, the gutters are really old. You can see the downpipe is kind of connected on one side. 
likely you'll need to replace the gutters or it could just be, look, the gutters have grass growing out of them. They need to be cleaned out. Um, same with the chimney. The chimney might have shrubs growing out of it or the example we had last week, it looked like a tree growing out. Actually, I might post a picture of the, the roof on yeah, our social yeah. page. Um, uh, so that's one of the more common ones. And you'd be surprised how many properties like that. And I was a bit confused by this at the start. And then I put myself in the shoes of a house buyer and I know I'm going to be selling the house in a few years. I'm not going to go getting the gutters replaced. Um, or am I not? Yeah, I've just been at a house today, which is exactly what you're describing there. All sorts of things growing out of gutters and gutters falling apart. And the owners have moved out already, so they haven't really been maintaining yeah. it. So and it's one of those things you kind of leave for the next buyer, but it's not a good idea. You probably should get it looking tip top before the survey, at least. Yeah. And, and then uh, it would be that the uh, door is kind of broken Seriously. and there's a bit of a draft yeah. coming through. It maybe it's really common. And again, it's, if you're now you're going to be selling the house in, in another few years, you might not get the windows and doors replaced. It might just deal with the inefficient ones you have. Or if you know there's a bit of a draft coming through one, you might not get them serviced and get new uh, new seals put around uh, around the window opening. It's those things that it's very easy to ignore as a home buyer pops up a lot. So windows and doors, those. Um, and then I think the other one is just uh, one of the more serious issues. Ventilation is popping up a lot as well, where rooms don't yes. have sufficient ventilation. And kitchens, for example, and bathrooms have to have certain type of ventilation. And then the floor or the, the downstairs of the house, for example, if it doesn't have underfloor ventilation, it should have vents in it and so on. And so ventilation pops up a lot as well, where a room doesn't have sufficient ventilation. That was another one that popped up in our house as well. The bathroom didn't have any ventilation at all. So the shit with, with right. the shower in it. So that was something we needed to address as well. And we didn't address it straight away, but we discovered the bathroom just became a steam room. Yeah. Within a few months, we got that sorted. So there are common issues as well. So again, it's common ones, but you have hundreds of smaller issues like just broken door handles, cracks in the ceiling that aren't serious, but they just need to be repaired. They'd be the most common ones. So. Thankfully, the most common ones aren't ones that are that are very expensive. They are things you want to you want to address after you move in. Okay, so yeah, the most commonest are the mundane ones, and they're not normally something that would hold up a buyer from buying a house. Probably just would proceed anyway. Yeah. In Ireland typically buyers don't get the chance to ask the vendors to correct minor mistakes like that. I think in some other countries, I had an American buyer the other day who, who in, the, in their sort of culture, they'd expect to give them a laundry list of things. You have to fix this, this and this and retail the bathroom before I move in. And it's just not done that way. So unfortunately, your little a list, there may be many little minor issues. It's I beware, really. You're buying the house as is and you're, it's your responsibility to change them. And I support that from a vendor's point of view. Fed vendors say, should I, should I retail that bathroom which has a crack in? And I said, look, you could do that, but the new buyer might not like that color of tile you pick <laughs> and redo it again. I've had it done to myself. I put a whole new, brand new kitchen in an apartment in London. And the week after I sold it, that kitchen was in the skip outside. <laughs> so you can't really, I tell people less is more and don't go and do big costly things like that because they might change it. So yeah. little things like that. But what if a medium to major issue comes up on a server? What are the options there for a buyer? Yes. There's, hang on, I've actually written a blog post about this. I think there's four different things you, you can have. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I, there's four different take options you have. You can proceed with as is knowing uh, what the issues are. You can, uh, and it happens occasionally, but I never really recommend this. You can ask the, the vendor to, to fix it before you move in. I, I'd never recommend that because a vendor just wants to sell the house. They don't want to have to be fixing things. And as you said, if they take blue tile and you hate blue, but uh, you might be, pulling out so you move in anyway. If it's a more serious issue that's going to cost into the tens of thousands to repair, you can, during sale agreed before you sign contracts, you can ask to renegotiate the price. Uh, so if, say, for example, the surveyor flags, okay, look, the roof is about to collapse. 
um, an average cost of a route for this size property is, I don't know, 25, 30,000 euro, whatever it is. You can ask to negotiate a price based on that if you want to take on the work yourself afterwards. Uh, or you can pull out of the sale. That's what sale agreed is for, you to do your due diligence on a property and assess yeah. one from a structural point of view and from a conditional point of view as a suitable. And then what your solicitor is doing is from the, is it legally sound as well as everything in order with the property. So sale agreed is for you to do your due diligence. You collect as much information as you can about the property and then you make, so that you can make an informed decision on going ahead and signing those contracts or not. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And you've had uh, various times when I'm selling something and I've had to enter these negotiations. And sometimes it's something small. Like recently I had a toilet that wasn't filling properly. It was a new bathroom, so it didn't need replacing. They said, look, will you get a plumber in to fix that to make sure it's set up right? Things like gutters we were talking about before, get the gutters cleared or downpipes fixed before I move in. They're fairly sort of minor issues that shouldn't cost too much money. They're more of a hassle. You, But they're anything that's urgent, anything that a downpipe that might be causing a leak over the next two months before you close, there's something you can reasonably ask the vendor to correct and they should do it. A bit more major than that, say it is something specific like a boiler. As you bought, the boiler was on its last legs. Maybe you weren't expecting that when you went sale agreed and you paid a, a full price. That's something where I find people do get the chance to negotiate and often the vendor knows that it was an issue and ho probably hoped it wouldn't come up. And that's something at least you can quantify. And this is what I tell people if they are going to try and negotiate the price, rather than do it willy-nilly and say, look, I want 10 grand off. If you can get someone in an expert, a, a boiler expert, and say, look, it's 2,000 euros to replace that boiler. That's a finite thing. You can show an invoice for yeah. that, essentially. That's something where most vendors will probably take that. If that gets a sale over the line, probably take that hit and go, because I know exactly I'm not being... They're not pulling a fast one and asking me for five or 10. It's a, a finite amount. Yeah. And we kind of showed it earlier on as well between buying a new build and buying a secondhand property. A new build has gone, it should be perfect when you move in. Everything should be absolutely pristine. But a secondhand property, people have lived in it. And I've got four kids. I know you do as well. A house isn't going to be perfect after people, people have lived no. in it. There's, got, there's going to be holes in the wall. There's going to be doors that have broken from being slammed. Our first son now, he's uh, only three years old and I can see the damage he's going to start. Start doing yeah, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so a secondhand property isn't going to be pristine. And when you're buying a secondhand property, you kind of accept there's going to be a few a few minor issues you kind of have to take with the property. And some people call it character. It's uh, So it, you have to set those expectations when buying a property as well. And things we actually do to um, help buyers understand the differences, we grade any issues one to three on the property the reports. Three being the most serious yeah. that, look, this is something serious you should look into. That'll be structural issues or uh, maybe uh, regulation uh, breaches. What, what? Two, two could be things like gutters are damaged. You can live with them for a while, but the longer you leave them, the more chance of, of them causing further damage to property. Damaged gutters might be a rating two where they say, look, you, you should address it sooner rather than later, but it doesn't need to be done tomorrow. And then uh, yeah, all the other smaller issues might be in one or two and you know, it just needs general maintenance or whatever, so. Yeah, it's worth mentioning that point. Uh, Noel, you contributed to the Irish Home Buyers Journal and you have a page in there which is reading your survey, which is actually the perfect sort of companion when they do get a survey report back from someone who can sort of take the, the Cliff Notes version off there and just say what was highlighted in that report. And we had a sort of short, medium or long-term tick box there. It's a bit like your one, two, three. If it's a short-term issue, look, I need to have this fixed now. That's a priority. If it's a medium or long-term issue, it's you know chipping off here or something like that. It's an issue that it won't further damage the house if you leave it something that you probably want to address in this the next year or months or years perhaps so yeah that's a really good page that you, you guys were involved in and again um it, at the end of the page comes back to what we're talking about of what to do if you do have minor medium or major issues on the house do you re renegotiate do you pull out or do you just live with it 
Uh, and the final one I was saying as well, again, with the sort of medium-sized issues, I find people are more likely to negotiate. When it gets to the bigger issues, or maybe it's a house that's in bad condition, you're often, there's no opportunity there. You're, it's sight as seen. You're buying a house that is, you know, roof has fallen in or has walls missing or whatever it is. You're buying it as is, and there's almost very little recourse after the survey. There's no surprises there. I think from the first day you've walked in the house and you've seen the mold, and you've seen the dripping gutters, you know that's what you're buying. At, at that stage, there's very little comeback from the survey. It's more actually about getting the survey and a quantity spares report to work out what your costs are going to be. That's more important. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah, for the more, if there's a lot of serious issues, that's yeah, where you where we would recommend getting it. Depending on the issues, maybe a builder in just to give you some quotes or get a good idea. Um, but yeah, exactly as I said, it's just about building up, knowing what issues are there and knowing you're taking on. Because there's nothing worse than people uh, buy a property and they discover things they didn't realize after they moved in. And that puts a downer on the... On the- We've all done that, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, I think so, there's so, always something that is hidden away in an attic that you don't quite find until yeah. you're in there six months. So even if there's 50 small issues, you want to be aware of those 50 small issues so that they don't uh, they don't catch you by surprise down the line. Yeah. Okay. And there's one last thing, actually, which came up in the Ireland First Time Buyers Facebook group, actually, over the weekend that you and I were both debating about when the surveys are required to be done. Typically, people will do it once they've gone sale agreed. But a few commentators have noticed recently that estate agents have asked them to do a survey before they go sale agreed. Perhaps they're down to the last one or two or three buyers. I said I've come across this on houses that are in a bad way. And as an estate agent, I want to make sure that the buyer of the house is making their final offer. Yeah being fully informed of what's wrong with the house. And it typically, perhaps it will be a survey and, or a quantity surveyor's report or a builder's report so that they know uh, how much they need to spend on the house before they make that final offer. Because I've had someone go say agreed thinking they would spend 300000 on a on a decent-sized detached house in Foxtrot. And then their architect came back and said, no, it's going to be 600000 to do the work. They were just blown away. And obviously, they didn't have the money or the finance to do that. Yeah. What's your opinion on this? Should it be done always after sale agreed? Or is there an argument to have it done before sometimes? So that, that was actually that was a really good uh, debate, actually. It, it, lots of people jumped in, actually, in um, different experiences and different points of view as well. That made me think a bit deeper about it. But our general advice is, which is suitable for well over 90% of cases, is you get your survey after you've gone sale agreed and after you've had your initial chat with your solicitor. Um, in case your solicitor has any or can get any planning docs or whatever from the, the vendor solicitor that they want to yeah. check over. So th- that advice is perfect in 90% of cases. After you go sale agreed and after you, uh, you, uh, you've spoken to your solicitor, the reason I kicked off that discussion is there was, an, there was a big increase in the amount of people. And it seems like over the last year, there was a couple. And then over the last few months, there was a few more. And then I had like two in a week. Uh, customers who said we the estate agent had been pressuring them beforehand. And I'm taking secondhand information, so I don't have the direct quotes myself but it was pressuring them beforehand to get the survey done and indicating, hey, if you did get a survey done, it would strengthen your it would strengthen your bid. And one person in particular had been asked to do this a couple of times from a couple of different estate agents. And one of the properties, because that was the property they were asking us to view, was like maybe 15, 20 years old. It didn't look like there was a whole lot wrong with it. So it wasn't in a state of disrepair or anything like that. And yeah, uh, we haven't actually surveyed it yet. I think it's due to be done in the next few days. So I don't know how many issues there were, but it's not something that's going to need like, 50,000 or 100,000 to do well. And that kind of caught me off guard a bit because I was like, is this a thing that estate agents are starting to do this now? And the reason... That's very bad practice if it is because it's costing you five, 600 euro every time. And if you haven't secured the house, you're, you're losing that money if you don't win the bidding the next week. And especially if you, between your mortgage approval and your uh, your deposit, if you can only afford houses up to 350,000 and your bidding is going up around there, 
if you're, there's chance, there's a good chance you're going to miss out on it in a few bidding wars. And so if everybody is getting a survey for every single, every single property they're interested in bidding in, or even if they're only down to the last two no. or three, it could, you could end like people that bid on 10 properties. So yeah. you end up no, it's completely unsustainable. It wipes out a no. huge chunk of money that you need to go towards the house. No, yeah. it, it would be great for business for me if everybody done this, but, <laughs> but if every property had two or three surveys done for, but 10 yeah, surveys, yeah. at the end of the day, I thought it was unfair on buyers to put them in that position and think, oh, my bid won't be taken seriously unless I get a, unless I get a, a survey done. So I think you would come forward with an example where if, you gave there as well, where if the property's in a serious state, yeah. it's prepared, it needs a lot of work done, you want to make sure buyers are informed. I think there's, there's a strong argument there based. And if a property is going up for auction as well, auctions work slightly differently to traditional sales that people would be used to. You'd have to get your survey done before you go in bidding in the auction as well. Uh, yes, because so, there's no due diligence period after you've, if you've won the auction, that's it, you're yeah, signed. And if you pull out then, you're going to lose your deposit, for your yeah, full deposit. So agreed, that's yeah. awesome. No, I think I'm glad we mentioned it because I think, yeah, in, in my example, uh, everyone was a willing party. Both buyers wanted their own surveyors or quantity surveyors to come around it and they were all quite willing. There was no forcing into it. I think it's worth highlighting it. Buyers, if agents are asking you to do this, I think push back, especially if it's a house like that, Noel mentioned, that's only 10, 15 years old, doesn't have major amounts of work done to it. You definitely shouldn't be doing a survey and you can, you can turn around and say to the agent, no, I'm not going to do that, but you should still take my bid. So it's worth watching out for unscrupulous practices from my, uh, from my competitors there. Put, we wouldn't do it anyway that way. Put the agents in their place. Isn't that right, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, no, that's a good place to end it. Thanks very much for coming on. I just want to take the chance to mention gethousesurvey.ie. Your, you, tell me about your price ranges. Just so you, you like to be transparent. So we might as well mention that here. So if people are buying a certain size house, what can they expect with the cost of the survey with you guys? Yep. So as I mentioned earlier on, we like to be really transparent with our pricing. We don't make you jump through hoops, get quotes or answer a hundred questions. So if the property is up to 200 square meters, it's 599, including VAT. And if it's between 200 and 350 square meters, it's S99, including VAT. Um, and uh, if it's over 350 square meters, we take them on a case-by-case basis because chances are it's a, a mansion. So yeah, case-by-case yeah, exactly. basis. But it's either 599 up to 200 or uh, 99 up to, uh, to 350 square meters. I like that. It's very clear pricing. Uh, and you do stag lists for new builds as well at a fixed price? Yeah, that's a uh, 449 snag. Again, Great. it's a fixed price that includes VAT. And uh, with our snag lists as well, you're getting a qualified either building surveyor or engineer who uh, do the snag. So you're getting somebody who's got a little bit more experience behind them as well because... IEI, interesting, IEI and SESI, they only really cover building surveys for secondhand properties, not really snag lists, but because surveys are our main product, we, our, snag, our snag lists are also done by the qualified guys as well. No, well, that's great. Thanks very much for coming on. That's been so helpful. And uh, go to gethousesurvey.ie. And actually, uh, it's worth going to Noel earlier than you go say agreed, just to get an idea of what they're doing. So you're not rushing to do it in the last minute. Is that right? Uh, absolutely. And one of the, the, the rest of the team I work with kind of hate this, but I encourage people to throw as many questions as they possibly can at us. We're more than happy to answer them. Even if you don't go with us, still just rather answer your questions and, um, and point you in the right direction so that I can proceed with a bit more confidence and fully informed as well. So go to gethousesurvey.ie or email us at info at gethousesurvey.ie and we're more than happy to answer any questions or give you any advice you need. Yes, and I'd say your socials are very good as well with regular posts about what to watch out for, what your surveys are doing. You're also a contributor to the First Time Buyers Ireland Facebook group, which we mentioned before. 
and give a lot of great advice in there. So I recommend people going to that. Well, thanks very much. We'll talk again soon. No, thanks a lot. Thanks, Ben. And it's a great podcast you started. I think more and more people need to do these podcasts. I think they're great just to oh, share more and more. That reminds me, the Get House Survey podcast as well. Noel actually kicked this off and it's a great interview between the two of us earlier in this year. Talking more about the estate agency side, so go find that as well. Noel's got loads of episodes up there with various people around the industry. Chrissy from the First Time Buyers Group, Kieran from Crazy House Prices. You should go there and listen to all those podcast interviews with him as well. All right. Thanks, Noel. Welcome back. Now it's time for our features. This is In, Out and Away. Each week, I take a price bracket and compare a property in the middle of a city center on the outskirts of the suburbs and a property in the same price bracket away, somewhere out of town in the, in the countryside. This is a really good exercise for any home buyer to look at what you can afford and the value for money in certain areas around the country. Would you prefer to have a more bijou little house somewhere in the lively city centre? Or would you like to be in the suburbs where you can just get into town, but you're on the outskirts a bit more? Or could you really just cut ties with the city and get away, work from home, or make a longer commute in for much more better value for money and a bigger house or a bigger plot? So this week, we're back to Dublin again. We have covered apartments. We have covered going up and down the N11 down to Wexford and Wicklow. We have gone north and gone up the east coast. And we have gone inland along the M4 corridor as well. This week, I decided we'd cover an area I haven't touched upon before. We're going to start in Dublin 6, Ranala. And we're going to look at some of the interesting properties there in a lovely, lively city centre location. From there, I'm going to take you on a journey southwest and we're going to head to Knockloin on the outskirts just outside the M50. And then we're going to keep going southwest down the N81 into West Wicklow and end up in Lacken near the Blessington Lakes and see what you can afford. The price range is between 550 and 600. So around that, a decent price range. Uh, you can get a lot of value for money if you get out of town with that. Uh, let's see what you can buy in the city centre as well. So let's get on with it. For in this week, our first property, this is six Walker's Cottages. And this is a small little end of terrace, two bed. It's a two-story house, even though it's called cottages. Uh, it's only 68 square meters, two beds and a bath. It's small, but it has some beautiful features. On the market for 545, uh, this has lovely little arched doorways, granite sills, lots of open timber inside, and actually a really country feel, despite this being in the heart of Dublin 6. It's essentially just two rooms on the ground floor, a living room and a small galley kitchen. Upstairs is kind of two bedrooms and maybe a third that has a mezzanine overlooking the living room. It could be a bedroom. It could be a studio or an open workspace. No outside space apart from a small balcony from the first floor. Um, for your price of your money, you are getting a great city center location. You're not getting a lot of space here. Or would you choose to go out? This is nine Woodstown Gardens in Knockloin. It's on the market for 585 and this is a pretty standard semi-detached house in an estate that you'd see all across south uh, southwest Dublin. Uh, this is a four-bed, three-bath, and 117 square meters. So it's almost double the size of our first property for a similar price. I picked this one not for any particular reason. It has nice interiors. Again, it's two rooms downstairs, although a bit bigger, uh, a living room to the front, and then a large extended kitchen with dining room at the back. Upstairs, two big double bedrooms and two smaller bedrooms, a bathroom and an ensuite. It has got a garden, about 15, 20 meters depth or so. Uh, it's a nice little family home just on the outskirts of town. You're just outside the M50. It's an area with modern schools, good parks, good playing fields. You are a commute into town by car or on the bus. Um, but look, you get a lot more value for money if you are a small family or growing family. 
Finally, for our away property, let's take a 30-minute drive down the N81 towards Blessington. And just before you get there, you're taking a left and crossing over the edge of the lakes on the east side of the Blessington Lakes, you will find Lacken. This is a lovely little village, and this is a bungalow on half an acre for the price of 595 So it's more expensive than the other two, but look at the size of it. It's 220 square meters, five bedrooms, four bathrooms on half an acre of land. It's been upgraded to a C3. And I would say the inside is a little rustic, but with some interesting interior design and some care and attention, this could be a fabulous family home. You've almost got room there for a small paddock, certainly room for a dog, a couple of cats and some chickens, and maybe a large and growing family as well. Uh, It's on a raised spot overlooking the mountains and the lakes. This is a beautiful location. You're only half an hour into the edges of Dublin, maybe an hour into the city centre. It is commutable, although I wouldn't want to be doing it early in the morning in the winter. Uh, But perhaps if you can work from home and you want to make that jump out of the city centre or out of the outskirts, this could be a fabulous semi-rural life. So please go to our social media at Irish Home Magazine and tell me which one you would choose. Would you choose in the two-bed cottage in Ranelagh? Would you choose out the four-bed house in the outskirts of Knockloyne? Or would you go away to the five-bed house on the edge of the Blessington Lakes in West Wicklow? And now on to new home versus old home. I wanted to stay in the reasonable vicinity here of our previous uh, properties in In, Out and Away. Uh, there's not much available new built in that sort of area. So I've just done a little hop, skip and a jump over the border into Kildare. And just south of Kilcullen, just a bit further down the M9, there's a lovely town called Carver's Town. This nice little village caught my eye because there's some new built homes coming out the ground in an estate called Clune Avin. They finished the first phase and the new phase two are available to buy, starting at 555,000 euros. For that, you get a four bed, three bath. It's like a dormer bungalow type house and it's 187 square meters. These are brand new A2 rated homes, really high quality finish with all the bits and bobs you'd expect in a modern property. This seems like a nice medium sized estate on the edge of town. There's only going to be about 30 houses in it in total. They're reasonably small back gardens, but you know enough for a nice family. Uh, but there's plenty of open public space, shared space to the front of the houses, which I think would make a really nice community. There's a great local national school just five minutes away. And if you need a bigger place, there's Kilcullen, which is about eight, 10 minutes away, and Newbridge, which is about 15 to 20 minutes away. Now, what brought me to this village is not just the new builds, but I always like a old home with a bit of a contrast. Uh, and this is a really unique one this week. I know I've done it before, but I picked another pub. This, in the heart of the town, used to be the Stream Inn. It is an old public house. It's still in very good condition, as you can see, but it also includes a couple of retail premises as well, a local news agent and some offices above. In addition to that, there is a four-bed apartment above the property as well. So you could live and work in this and really make something out of this investment. So that's the choice this week. Again, it is a new build house for 555 or a whole pub investment property and accommodation above for 595. Uh, which would you choose? Tell us on our social media at Irish Home Magazine. And finally, on to our news section to end the show. This week, Housing Minister Dara O'Brien has come out and said that the government's target of 33,000 new homes per year is way too short and they probably need to be building 40,000 new homes a year. I think we probably knew that already and considering that they've only been building 10 or even 20,000 new homes a year for the past three or four years, that backlog has just kept growing and more homes will be required in the future. The problem is with house prices starting to fall a little bit and the future looking uncertain, 
private construction is starting to slow down and that's going to have to be picked up by the state or social bodies. There are plenty of planned and zoned sites ready to go for new housing across Dublin and the rest of the country where homes are desperately needed. We just hope that the government will pick up the slack where private developers let them down. Also in the news, ministers are urging that home buyers take advantage of the various house buying schemes that are out there to help you either with a deposit or with a loan for your home. Don't forget, there's the help to buy scheme that can give you up to €30,000 tax back in order to go towards a deposit for a home. There's also the first home shared equity scheme that will give you some more money towards the property. You can use that in conjunction with the help to buy scheme and the government will take a share of the property that you have to pay back later, but it will help you bridge a gap where perhaps the funding you can afford won't reach the house price. And finally, many people forget the local authority home loan. This is a little known lifeline for many people who maybe not been able to get the finance for one reason or another. You may have the deposit. This will lend you up to 90% of the value of the home from your local council. Go and apply to your local council and see what they have available. It might just help you get your hands on your own home. That's it for episode nine. I hope our chat with Noel from Get House Survey was useful to you. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be covering the final stages in going say and agreed to getting your keys, including next week talking about mortgage protection. And then I'll be speaking to one of Ireland's leading buyers agents about her new TV show, How to Buy a Home. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media at Irish Home Magazine. I'll talk to you next week.